0: Topping Talks! Let's see it. 105 hours a week, can't be beat. Welcome to Topping Talks. Topping Talks is a topping Tribune production, and today's episode is proudly sponsored by Topping Technologies and ExpressVPN. Topping Technologies is an IT value added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Had to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas and could use a hand, you can reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, are you part of the 3.6% of Americans who still care about their privacy? If you are, then perfect, ExpressVPN can assist. Even though 96% of stats are made up on the spot, ExpressVPN does guarantee their services via their 30-day back money guarantee. Now, without further ado, I'm proud to say I'm interviewing John Zepp, who is the current... Corporate Senior Inside Sales Manager at Red Hat. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, bud. Not a problem, glad to be here, this is fun. Absolutely, it's been a couple years since you and I first met at the trenches over at HPE and <laughs> inside sales. It's
1: been a few years, yeah.
0: <laughs> right? Yep. So, I know going back a few more years, even more, how do you first get into IT?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I, um, I didn't have, never planned to be there. I, uh, I've got a degree in education and had done a number of different jobs and I was in a sales role that was not technology related. And I ran across a friend of mine and he said, hey, we're doing a bunch of hiring over at IBM. You've got some sales experience. Why don't you come interview? So I said, okay, nothing to lose. So I went and interviewed, got the job, started as an inside sales rep at IBM and was there for a number of years in a number of different roles. And that's how it all started. I knew nothing about technology, IT at all. I could barely turn a computer on at that point. But IBM was okay with that and they taught us
0: how to do all of it. That's awesome. I you know, IPM is one of the oldest, most diverse companies in history. Yep. I think they were founded in 1914 or it, it's Early, been a while.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit earlier than that, like yeah. 1907 or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. I yep. just know they have the same birthday as me. There you go. <laughs> yep. So I know such a big diverse company where you, when you first entered, were you focusing on, you know, Mainframe or PC, I mean, what kind of IT were you first selling when you first joined the team?
1: Yeah, great question. I, um, I actually was part of a team called the competitive team. And so what we, the companies we worked with were uh, customers that either had no IBM technology or just flat didn't like us. And so they gave it to us and we had the tough customers to call on. And we were selling pretty much everything mainframe was a little bit out of our league but pretty much everything else you know software hardware services we were selling everything to those customers at least trying to
0: absolutely so when you say of the or out of the league or league or frame, to so say is it quote-unquote smaller companies or just different technical standards or needs or
1: yeah that's what it pretty much came down to uh most of the companies we were calling on were on the smaller end you know they called them s you know um smb, SMB at the time yep, small right? medium so, business yeah for the most part that's who they, we were talking to oh yeah
0: and then so you was it mainly the IBM desktop PC or?
1: No, servers. Oh, really? Okay. PCs, software, services, the whole thing.
0: And that was before VMware, right? When you had to have one server per application. That's exactly <laughs> right, yeah.
1: It may have only been running at 10% capacity, but yeah, oh you had to have every, every application had to have its own server. Yeah. Oh,
0: my gosh. Imagine how many floors of servers you would have to have back in the day when there was one app yep. per physical server.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yep. There was one of the customers I was calling on, that uh that had this massive data center they're here in dallas i won't name names because we just won't go there no worries had this massive (laughs) data center in the basement of their building and i forget how many servers it was thousands of servers oh my gosh and uh and they had a fire suppression system Mm -hmm. like every data center should yeah it was water-based at one point in time and they you know when it when it got a signal it would fill all the pipes before it started sprinkling. Yeah. And fortunately, they caught it before it started spraying water. And soon after they changed that, obviously, that's not a good idea to have water <laughs> fire suppression on a data center, because no. all that equipment would be ruined
0: good oh. water in IT is water cooled. That's
1: exactly <laughs> right.
0: That's exactly right. So I'm no. guessing they switched it over to traditional, it's not argon based. I know there's a special chemical, yeah. dry yes. dry chemical compound they use for data centers. So that's correct. If something happens, they can extinguish it without destroying, you know, millions millions of dollars in IT hardware. That's right.
1: Yep, that's right. So that was a fun some fun conversations.
0: What was the most difficult thing when you first joined IBM? And was there, there was like a physical inside sales team locally or did you have i don't know yes had virtual yeah so or?
1: it was it was a team that was being built out um here in dallas and at the time when i started i think there was maybe a hundred of us by the time they finished building out the inside sales organization there was four or 500 Oh my god it, right and so at one point in time well shortly thereafter they they built a building in coppell and moved the whole inside sales organization to that building because there were so many people. But, oh, wow. I was kind of on the ground floor of getting into this thing and, and uh, building that out. So that was kind of fun.
0: Is that building still around by chance? It realize. is, the one in Capel. yes. Really, yeah. do they, yep. does IBM still own it or is yes. it? Yes, oh, they're still working out of there. Really? Yep. I, need, I need to drive past sometime, that's so cool. It's on Beltline Road. Oh yeah, I've, I've done drop-offs in the area before. Yeah. I had to have seen it.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's not a small building, yeah. it's is it, really
0: large. Do they have their sign, kind of secretive? No, uh, no? it's right there
1: it? on the street. Oh, yeah. How am I missing this? <laughs> uh, you should pay attention. Yeah, I
0: should. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of companies and a lot of data centers, you know, and security companies, they hide it, so you don't even see the logo. Right, like, right. There's a couple of restaurants, like, corporate headquarters are in Plano. There's no way you know until after you enter the actual lobby of the, rest, or the uh, headquarters, and then you see their logo plastered everywhere. Right, yep, <laughs> yep. And what was your favorite part about working at IBM?
1: Probably um, the technology innovation, because there was always something new. So I was constantly learning something. And I think that's kind of how technology works in general. Right. If you're not constantly learning, you're going to be left in the dust. And so I'm, I'm very curious. I love variety. And so it was learning something all the time and then doing something a little bit different every day. Because you never know what a customer is going to say when you're calling on them. Right? So very true. you you kind of think on your feet. you got to be smart and, and creative and, and you know, take a conversation in different directions. And so that really appealed to me. I love that.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say the best businesses are always innovating and going out and stretching themselves to try new things. No one wants to be Kodak. (laughs) That's exactly right. Who's Kodak? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who ironically created the bullet that shot them. I mean, they created and patented the digital camera before anyone else. Right. But they were so worried because they made a majority percent of their profit all came from film. Film. So they knew if they put money in it and created it, it would have killed them. So they had a late start. They eventually had a good, relatively good market share for digital cameras, but uh, they didn't really profit off that bump in technology before it evaporated and transitioned to phones. Yeah I know they had the Microsoft Kodak or no that was I was thinking I'm thinking of Nokia. Because there was a there's a camera company who partnered with a phone company. So they had like a forty me- at the time really really great, you know, forty megapixel camera. Right. I do want to say it's Nokia, but my ADHD knows no bounds. I I, I could derail every conversation. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but what was your favorite, do you have a favorite customer or scenario? Or what's your favorite memory of, you know, working inside sales? Is there a win you really liked or uh, something you had to overcome or what was there, a career progression and how did that play out?
1: You know, I think part of it was the people that I was able to meet. And so as an inside sales rep, I supported five or, I think it was five or six field account executives and just getting to know those people, and the way they thought the way they sold you know how, how they worked with customers and watching that that was probably my favorite part and that's that's really been true most of my career it's all about the people true. I mean, at the end of the day people do business with people they like and they trust so very true that is i've learned that more than anything and just enjoyed the people that i work with i've i'm still friends with some of them today that yeah. was a long time ago i'm just i'm gonna put years on it, but it was a long <laughs> <Yeah>. time
0: ago <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then did you go from ibm to was it microsoft or yes was that next major
1: yes yeah that was the next big jump um in and literally at my IBM, ibm i was there for a number of years i left for a few years to went for an, went to work for an ibm partner and then came back to ibm oh really for another four or five years and that second stint at ibm i worked myself into a management role mm-hmm. and it was inside sales but it was a management you know leadership role yeah. which was a ton of fun and then i had an opportunity to jump over to microsoft Microsoft was building out an inside sales organization yep. and I actually moved over as an individual contributor but again worked myself into a management role mm-hmm. and uh, and that was that was so much fun I was in the healthcare division at Microsoft calling on customers across the kind of the Midwest mm-hmm. right, up in you know Michigan, uh, I, uh, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky you know that that kind of area.
0: Did you enjoy it in contrast, to, or what was the biggest difference? Because I know, I mean, you're going from hardware or mainly hardware, and then you're going to Microsoft, which is now they have a little hardware with the service lines, but right. it, the majority is still software, it software is. as a service. Yeah. One of the
1: things I liked about it, and, and I realized when I was at IBM, that the margins were getting really skinny on hardware, and they're even yeah. skinnier today, right? What, so, what margins? Yeah, what <laughs> margins, if there's any. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you take that move from a, mostly a hardware and services company to a software company margins are massive, right? And so two things, they're able to pay people more and they've got a lot more flexibility on what, how they do, what they do with a customer, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, we have discounts or, you know, moving stuff around, there's a lot more flexibility on those things. And so that was a ton of fun. And software is what makes things happen. Hardware just runs that stuff, right? Without without software, that's just a piece of metal, right? So software is what makes things happen. And I actually, part of my stint at IBM was in the software Arena as well, and so I've had some exo- software experience, mm-hmm. but moving to Microsoft just is a whole different deal,
0: whole different deal. Oh, absolutely! And it's like you have the you have many hardware providers, but a lot of them use the same components and manufact- component manufacturers. It's just to different specs, right? So I mean, it's all about the specs, and then more importantly, the software you put on it that really provides the best solution. But I used to hear all the glory days of like working at EMC, where you get that first job, your first day at EMC, you're jet. The team will take you out. You put a down payment on Mercedes, just because they knew you were going to make enough money to pay off that car and more that first year of sales. Right. Because again, they had the they had the hardware, but really the MC the software, and at the time, it was unparalleled in terms of storage competitors and technology that really made them a juggernaut. But even they got to the point where they were you know sold off, or they sold to Dell to right. become I think Dell now is the, the largest server manufacturer. I know that after the acquisition they overtook HPE for the first time in seventy-six quarters, I think. Wow. It's pretty impressive. But you also, I mean, you're doubling the size of, not doubling, but you're Dell's a lot bigger after that acquisition and HP was right. moving towards value versus volume because which is yep. a whole other interesting topic in and of itself. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yep. But yeah, Microsoft I, I still it still blows my mind that there weren't enough competitors to make a quote unquote premium tablet or premium laptop. To directly or more directly compete with Apple, because I mean you have Dell, Lenovo, and HP who make some you know they make fabulous laptops, but no one really had that more unique single piece you know anodized aluminum or aluminum or I guess the Surface Book is magnesium. None of them are really moving in that direction. And then Microsoft came with the Surface Book, and I still use my Surface Book too. I love that thing. Yep, I mean it's really versatile. I could you know rip off the tablet part when I'm doing some trainings on the couch, try right, tea, or you know use that nice keyboard, which. I really wish Apple had the long distance or, you know, the longer distance travel for the keyboard. Cause I
1: totally agree with you.
0: That's one of the reasons okay. I love my Surface book is because when I'm clicking and you know, using the laptop, I can you feel that distinct click and it goes down a couple millimeters or Apple. It's, it's a fraction of a hair when you're pushing on the key. Right. So, I mean, it's, right. it is very impressive. Apple, you know, is the thinnest thing on the planet, but I don't know, I, I'd, I'd be more open to Apple if they had that longer distance key travel, but Microsoft came out with the service book and the Surface, And I mean, there's not really any competitors. HP had the HP tablets for a while. They fire sold that. I think when I first started HPE, and then the only competitor now realistically is probably Samsung with theirs. Uh, yeah, but, but that's a small player yeah. in that market. Exactly. Sure. I yeah. mean, so it really is, you know, Apple and Microsoft with the yep. Surface. Yep. So, but, so we, when you were there, was it still Microsoft 100% or, you know, mostly software at the time?
1: Um, it was. Right at the end, uh, just before I left, they were, they were launching the Surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, you know, one of the things they did that was kind of cool is they gave everyone a Surface. Nice. It was the, I forget the processor on it. It was not the Intel processor. It was the other one. AMD. That, no, it wasn't an AMD. I forget what oh, it was. Oh, really? But it was, it was not good. Let's yeah. just put it this way. It was not good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but they gave one to everybody. And then. Um, was it worse
0: and, than the and, HP laptop we got?
1: Yeah, it was pretty bad right it was yeah. pretty bad okay um, it worked <laughs> but it was so limited on what you could run yeah. on it it didn't work so great so uh, you know the regular surface was fantastic yeah. i still have one today really right, that works fantastic i've had it for probably five or six years It's great it's awesome yeah so i'm a big fan of the surface
0: and yeah, they make some good stuff i still need Absolutely. to i'm still trying to spec out and get one of myself to so the surface book three or try to justify that it's so, like because it'd be nice to go of course you know go a little bit faster be more efficient because of course it's what technology yeah. always does. Yep. Yep.
1: By the time you get it, it's obsolete. So. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Right. It'll be interesting to see if Microsoft starts to make their own processors, because I know Apple just that was revolution well, at the time, revolutionary, where they said, you know, we're going to make our own process in house, because they used Intel for you know twenty plus years, I think. there's it, yep. it was a long OEM relationship, and of course, if you're making the software and the hardware, there's more efficiencies you can built in. So absolutely, I wouldn't be surprised if that's Microsoft's next step in hardware, because I think. Yep. Yeah, I think that'd be probably good for them long-term. There was noise about them doing
1: that a few years ago, yeah. but I don't know where that ended up. So you're right. It's probably yeah. not too far down the road.
0: And every day, I don't know, I, I still blows my mind that I the Microsoft phone didn't jump off more for business users. It's a brilliant concept. It was and a great phone, yeah. too. I loved that phone. I mean, right. it was great. That, was that Windows 7 or 10 that was on the phone natively? 7. 7. And you just and you go straight from your phone to your PC. is, a, Yeah. Re- literally a brilliant idea and they i think they spent 11.2 billion on nokia to buy the nokia um the phone part of the company it's funny people think nokia is just phones it's like no they're huge 5g infrastructure phones are just a consumer product that people remember them because they made the bulletproof nokia phone right
1: and nokia sold more phones outside of the us than any other phone company oh yeah it was just in the us (laughs) they were not the big player yeah one of the funny story about that when um when Microsoft decided to launch the phone, mm-hmm. they knew how many uh, Microsofties, mm-hmm. right? Had iPhones, exactly how many. And once they launched the new phone, they gave everyone a phone. They said, we know who has iPhones. We, need, we expect you to switch over to the Microsoft phone and we're tracking it. What so they that? could pinpoint exactly who had an iPhone. Is this for employee, employee, employees, employees or consumers? Employees. Okay, I was employees, gonna say, whoa. Not consumers, <laughs> not, consumers <laughs> not consumers, employees. Okay. They knew exactly how many people at Microsoft, mm-hmm. had iPhones. Yeah, right. At the time, I was one. Yeah, and then they gave me the Microsoft phone. I go, that's a no-brainer. Right. Yeah. so I got off that. But they were kind of tracking it, and in you know, a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, mm-hmm. saying, you know, we know what you're doing, <laughs> and you need to switch over as soon as possible because Microsoft is on your paycheck, right? Yeah. So it was a, it was kind of interesting.
0: I mean, no, one, I mean, very few really knew the potential of the iPhone when it first came out. I remember it was the C, I forget his name, but the the former CEO of BlackBerry. When the iPhone first came out, he laughed derogatorily. And during an interview, he said, two things stood out in his interview. He said, one, Americans will never pay more than, I think he said, $500 for a phone. That's ridiculous. They'll never do that. And then he said, no one will ever pay for a phone with no buttons on it. (laughs) (laughs) And now, that's pretty much the only phones you can buy. That's right. Unless you're buying, you know an Apple or not Apple, a uh, burner phone at, you know, Walmart or Target where it's a flip phone, flip which phone, yeah. are still great for certain applications. <laughs> if you care about privacy, or I guess for kids, that'd be great too, because right. contrary to every parent, I don't believe you need the internet at age six, or whatever. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree with that. Yeah. So back in my days, we walked uphill both ways and used a pay phone and we worked out just fine. That's right.
1: <laughs> uphill both ways barefoot in the snow. Exactly, <laughs> built character That's yeah, right. That's in
0: right. the Midwest. And once he okay. you know, was it every couple of years, the The payphone would break and the quarters would spit spit out. And it was like the lottery to me. Actually, I did, I actually did the right thing though. because I guess the school doesn't care. They don't, someone else was making money off the phone. But like, a friend and I, I, I were making a phone call on the payphone at school, and you know it broke and you know quarters started coming out of the coin return tray. So I went to the receptionist. I go, hey, and one of my friends, he was already taking some of the money from it. And the receptionist goes, hey, this is broken. Like, can we take it? Or who who owns this phone? Can I take it? She's like. I don't care. It's not mine. I'm like, all right, There you go. <laughs> justification enough for me. Yeah. There's my allowance <laughs> yeah, for the week. Exactly. That's like, th- that's like three candy
1: bars. That's, you know? right. that's, right. that's good stuff. Yeah. So find a to payphone today.
0: Oh, they don't exactly. exist anywhere. Well, yeah. Maybe in podcast studio soon. I, I don't know. I, I've got my heart on some vintage technologies just because that'd be really cool. And actually, cool. so when um, I'm, I, um, as much as I'm growing the company, I'm still doing sales is still a big part of my role yeah. and I'll do a lot of pounding the payment more and more of these companies are starting to use the, use the pseudo phone booths or privacy booths mm-hmm. where you could just walk in and you know, take phone calls, work on your laptop. They're like, yeah. well, some technology is coming full circle. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, and everyone wants to be more eco-friendly, so they're going to be making them out of wood again. So <laughs> it's like, well yep. oh, yep. instead you know, instead of the phone, they'll just have, you know, well, probably, they probably won't have an internet check. They'll just have Wi-Fi in the lobby. That's right. But, yeah, it's like, yeah, some technology just comes full circle. It's just, it yep, yep. It's just a lot about timing too what comes next <laughs> yep that's the truth and yeah, ma- what inspired you to go from was it um, microsoft directly to hpe no i actually
1: or? i left microsoft to go work for a, a microsoft partner oh really um and i realized very quickly that is not where i wanted to spend the rest of my career so that only lasted about six months what do you um, like about it I, I know it's a whole for Part fo- of it, mostly, yeah. it was mostly culture right really yeah the partner i was working for good partner. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since been burnt, been bought by connection. So they don't, you know, that particular partner doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But the culture was very micromanagement. Oh. You know, we're gonna tell you exactly what you do, when to do it. <laughs> and it was awful. At that point, you know, I'm not I'm not young now and I wasn't yeah. young then. I'm going, that is yeah. not how I want to operate. So no. <laughs> six months in I'm going, nah I'm out. Yeah. And I'm not doing <laughs> that. Um, so I went off and I actually this is crazy. I went and got my home inspection license. Oh, really? I said I'm gonna be a home inspector. Yeah, did that for a little while, but that's a whole different animal, and we probably don't need to talk about that. But yeah. um, then, then the HPE opportunity came around.
0: So, how do you first learn about that?
1: Uh, you, you know, what's funny? They approached me. Oh, a really? Recruiter reached out to me and said, "Hey, we were looking at your profile on I think it was LinkedIn, and said yeah. looks like you might be a good fit here." I said, "Okay, let's yeah. go." Right. So I did an interview. I had I interviewed with two of the directors. And oh, yeah. they said, Oh, it's typically uh, you know, seven to 10 days. We'll get back to you with an answer. Yeah. The next morning I had a call. Oh, to, damn. <laughs> it was like, that's great. Obviously I did well in the interview. Oh yeah. Right? And uh, and then that w- one of the great things about HPE for me was the opportunity to really hone my skills as a leader. Mm-hmm. And you were part of that. Yeah. Right? I was going to say that's so, when we first met. You were yeah, a manager. Exactly. <laughs> I, I became your manager. Yeah. Right? You were on the, my first team and I was, I was a, you know, a leader before that, mm. but having the, the coaching and direction from my leaders at HPE really helped me hone my skills. Mm. And so the, the three plus years I spent there, I learned how to care for people how to, you know, what's important for me as a leader, when it comes to, to leading people, you know, caring for them and making sure they're getting paid, right, making sure, oh, yeah. you know, they're, you know, mentally, they're, they're good. And they you don't have any issues, not that I'm a counselor, but yeah, you know, just making sure everybody's yeah. good and that they're not only are they doing the job but are do they have the tools to do it effectively are they getting yep. the coaching to get really good at what they're doing and, and get better and better so i look at that time at hpe while there were some challenges there always is at every company of course but i was i gave i got the opportunity to just hone those skills mm. and become a pretty solid leader right
0: um, yeah. you can attest you're, to that i was going to say you're well, the, a good you're leader one the, i don't know absolutely but, you're one of the best i mean there's a lot of, there's a lot of lead, oh there's a lot of Managers, there weren't a lot of leaders like when I was working there, because I know some of the managers like did they did zero coaching. Some of them I would be fascinated to see how they justify their existence, but it's just because <laughs> so some of them they that. did not coach, they did not they, they didn't add value to the teams. Like, but you you took time for one on ones, you would help coach us with cold calling, following up with customers, trying to find you know where the actual business needs of the client where they actually need because like when when they first started the HPE call center. I think we're technically business development uh, reps or BDRs and right. all we did was, and not to talk smack, but it was just, you know, how it was. We just had a call sheet and go, hello, Mr. America, how many servers do you have? That's are, right. Are the servers old? Do you need more servers? And I mean, that's how it just was for the first I think six to seven months. And it's true. Yeah. Then we got, then the career progressed us a little bit, but I mean, most of the coach, the most valuable coach I got was from you when we were working there when I as a really, I really started to focus more on how to put together solutions and how to really help people. And that's where, that's where the job was a lot more fun too.
1: I totally agree with that. Yeah. That's the fun part of it, right? Oh, yeah. All the other stuff is like, I got to do that, but when yeah. you to talk to a customer and help them solve a problem, that's why we're there. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so I really helped, I tried to focus on that and I still do to this day. Yeah. Right? I very rarely call myself a manager. I call myself a leader, uh, but to be a leader, you, you got to lead. Yeah. Right. And you don't lead by saying, hey, go do this and tell them exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. You enable them and then yep. empower them to go do that job. And then oh, yeah. you watch and monitor and adjust. Right. So oh, yeah. that's that's some of those things I learned at HPE that now I'm able to apply in the role I'm in today.
0: I mean that's why you had one of the best retention rates on the team or on the on the whole geo or I don't know what you ever want to call yeah. the Texas entity. I mean yeah. you know, a lot of the other managers, they were just, you know coercive you know hit your numbers or else yeah yelling being pejorative I mean uh, I think of my wave I think there's two people left who, are, who stick around over within three years or six people left and with four or year, five years there's like two or three people left I mean yeah there's a lot and well. especially in DFW every tech company is opening up an office here especially in sales and correct I mean it's just more and more customers aren't buying servers so that that business is kind of devolving, or more of an ingress. Yep. So I mean, I know HPE still has, you know, storage synergy, GreenLake synergy, cloud, whatever buzzword you want to use, but they still have some good things going yeah. on.
1: Um, it's, it's a different company than when you when I were
0: there. That's so true. That's all,
1: I'll <laughs> to it. One of the things that um, you know you, you you talked about the lack of attrition, right? Yep. That I had, which was amazing. Um, one of the things that I made a decision early on in my leadership uh, roles. Was that uh, a PIP or a performance improvement plans? Oh, yeah, those were stupid, right? Oh yeah. And so, in well, my entire career as a leader, mm-hmm. I've done one. Yeah. And it was in my first leadership role at IBM. It was a guy I'd known for a lot of years, mm-hmm. just wasn't performing. Put the PIP in place, and of course we let him you know let him go. Yeah. But at that point, I realized that is not how you improve performance. No, I mean you improve performance through coaching. Right. And exactly. so that is the only PIP I've ever done in my entire leadership career. Oh, wow. Regardless of what else was going on, that is yeah. the only one I've ever done. And if I finish my career and never do another one, I'm totally good with that because I think yeah. it's counterproductive. Right? Absolutely. Agree. You, you, you put somebody on a PIP, the next thing you know, they're gone. Of right? course. So why not yeah. just fire them? Why waste the time? I mean, right? it, if you're going to let them go, yeah. just let them go. Why waste the time with that? Right?
0: Well, I think we both know why. Legal. I know. Unfor- I totally unfortunately, that, right? like <laughs> I totally get that. Right.
1: So, have I had poor per- performers over the two years? Of, of course, course yeah. right. So, you you coach them to either improve or help them figure out what's next for them, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. And maybe it's out of the company. Maybe it's another role in the company. But oh, yeah. you know, a pip is ridiculous, in my opinion.
0: Oh, that. I mean, for the end user, for the person receiving it, there is zero value because, especially, right. especially at HPE now. That, Granted, they're not like they may not be this like it this way. But for decades, a PF was just illegally for you knew you were going to get fired. Yeah, because I've known a lot of people that are put on the plans. I was threatened to be put on one when I worked at Aruba. Uh, spoiler alert. But is <laughs> just, just one of those things where of all the all the people that I know, one person who has actually successfully hit that plan and hit the metrics in the plan to keep their job? And for some reason and that person actually kept working there for a while until they had a new manager with a new different style they didn't agree with but yeah. it's just it's not about coaching or making them better it's basically and the numbers they give you you're not gonna hit it because that's right I've, correct. I've yeah. talked to the people and I you know you look at the numbers it's like no because there's no way yeah like I know an engineer and and for those that don't know engineers are technical they don't cold call or no his performance plan had cold calling on it <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> so makes like, no sense. Exactly. So I always tell people, like, when you're having, you know, your monthly one-on-ones or weekly one-on-ones, your manager, if it's a good manager, they will tell you where you're not hitting your marks and how you could be doing better. They don't wait until, you know, once a year or once a quarter, to go, oh, yeah, here's a PIP, here's a performance plan. Right. Uh, you better hit it or you're gone. Right. And, I mean, as soon as you get that plan, everyone is looking for another job immediately.
1: Well, and, that's, and you mentioned it. That's the difference between a manager and a leader. Agree. Right? A manager manages the the activities and the details like that yeah a leader helps their people be successful
0: oh absolutely it's all about giving those giving them those tools to help them grow hit those metrics and you know a long-term successful career yep totally agree yeah and it it is fascinating to see all the tools that evolve over the years in sales i remember when we first started at hpe i was a big fan of the physical avaya phones and i was one the only person who ever beat me well, more often than not, I had the top dials per week. The well, only person that ever beat me, funny enough, his name, uh, Ben Dials, D-I-L-E-S. I remember Ben. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that was his real name until like six months <laughs> in. I was like, that's your real name? That's that perfect. <laughs> it fit, yeah. Yeah, but we just hammered through those phone calls. But I don't know, it's, that, that quickly faded the soft phones. And now you have even better softwares where they'll auto dial it for you. And it won't actually bother you until a customer in the fact, click, you know, picks up the phone that and starts talking. So it is fascinating to see all the different tools that keep evolving and make people really making everyone's jobs easier too.
1: Right. That's absolutely right. Oh Yeah.
0: So I know a lot more, a lot of folks these days are using LinkedIn, which is one of the smartest acquisitions in it history. I mean, Microsoft, that was clever. Cause oh, yeah. as soon as they bought it, I knew they were going to turn it into Facebook with, cause it, um, when H that was a good rep, the one that were you there when the HP um, purchased a LinkedIn navigator, a LinkedIn premium for inside sales. Yep. That rep at uh, that rep at LinkedIn was pretty happy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he knocked it out of the park. That's a big sale. Oh, yeah. yeah. And,
0: but I knew like during the initial on- onboarding of the technology presentation, because before that, for folks who don't know, LinkedIn is basically a resume where you talk about your you know, different things. But when they did the sale at HPE and we started to use it, they introduced us to the new feature called the like button and post. Mm-hmm. And of course, that was all, that's all, that's all it took to turn it into Facebook for professionals. And which much, yeah. is what it is, which pretty much. Which, of course, from a business perspective, is brilliant because you update your resume on average maybe once or twice a year. But if it's a social media thing, you could talk about your achievements and all the other things. You're going to use that daily. That's right. Which that means their marketing dollars are that much more valuable. And they can sell those LinkedIn subscriptions for that much more because prospects and everyone is using it. So Correct. It's, it's very logical. And I was, I was actually surprised Facebook maybe is maybe a antitrust. But Facebook, I don't think they made an offer for the company. Hmm. I don't no, believe I don't know about that. But apologies again, my ADHD, the worst. <laughs> if it has to do with business, I will find a tangent to get there. Yeah, there you go. i reel it back <laughs> in. Exactly. So about Rele HPE, yeah. yeah. So that was a very interesting time. It's, I know that was during the Aruba acquisition we were working there. So that was a, probably, the again, probably or maybe the second smartest IT acquisition in history. You had the separate, still to this day, separate CEO, separate headquarters, separate culture. So Aruba is still nimble and fast. So that was a very good acquisition that, Definitely helped me out covering the Midwest when we were, you know, cold calling all those accounts and trying to add more value. you got an in at that point. Exactly. You've already got some HPE stuff, right? It's perfect. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And then what was your favorite thing? I know there's a lot of great things about HPE. What was kind of the, what was your favorite memory about their either experience or just?
1: You know, it's the, and I still to this day, I remember it. My very first day, I was um, introduced to my team right we they, they were, it was a big team it was like i don't know 14 15 oh, yeah. people and my the previous manager was still at hpe john you remember john
0: oh and yeah. the they, old john
1: he, yeah the old john he he came in you know he was there and he was saying hey your, your new manager's coming in and we'll do a quick introduction so i came in talked a little bit about me and then literally just opened up to questions yeah and you know most of the team fired something at me yeah. And there were two people in that room that I will never forget. They had very pointed questions, mm. and I looked at those two, and I go, okay, those are the two that I've got to win over. Because you can <laughs> yep. tell yeah. they didn't like the idea of me coming in as a manager. Right?
0: I remember that day. Yeah, you so, remember that day, Yeah, right? so, so for, for folks who don't have a lot of background on the, I guess a little background on the HPE situation, they were building out the new Inside Sales org, and they made the decision because pe- we the Inside Sales team had been there for one to two years. They didn't promote a single person internally, so they were bringing all the external talent, and people were starting to get fed up because there were are promised certain career paths and progressions that weren't being hit. So that's why they were a little more uh, abrasive to the idea of more external talent coming to the company at the time.
1: Well, and that was when they were moving it from Conroe, Arkansas.
0: Yes, that was. To Plano, a, right?
1: That's a huge move. And, oh, yeah. And part, of the, part of that was the talent pool in Oh, it's Conway, not Conroe. Conway, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Conway, yeah. Arkansas. Uh, not as many people there that want to work for HPE, so they moved it to Plano. Yeah. Huge talent pool. Absolutely. Right? And so when they did that, they expanded from, I don't know how many people were in Conway, to hundreds of inside sales reps at yep. HPE. When I was hired, I was in a wave that actually had 127 people, right? They had to wow. separate it into two, yeah. but we all started on the same day. Yeah. So that wave of, of hires had like 120-some people. It was crazy, right? And yeah. I look back now, who knows how many are still left, but that was pretty typical right then. How many. They were hiring <laughs> these huge groups of people. Oh, yeah. Um, and 99% of them, well, maybe that's a bold number, but yeah. most of them were fresh college hires, right? Out of oh, college, first, first job, yep. that kind of deal, moved from all over the country to to Plano, Texas. Oh, yeah. So it was a... It was an interesting model how they played it out. Yeah, so yeah. there was all kinds of opportunity to, to learn and grow and develop. And there's still a few people there that I go, okay, that, that person really figured it out. Oh, yeah. And they've charted a great path. Oh. And, and they're still hanging
0: out. Oh, yeah. I can't help but think your coaching had a lot to do with Kyle's success, too. Uh, Kyle Glenn-Denning, because he's climbed up that corporate ladder pretty impressively, too.
1: Yeah, and he's doing great work over there. So, oh, yeah, yeah he's, he's a really good guy. And... I, he was, you know, you and he were probably my two favorite on that team. Aren't you nice? <laughs> no, and it, it's just because I, you know, you guys worked your butts off, oh, yeah. right? You didn't cause me grief. Oh, yeah. And you listened. <laughs> you, co- you were coachable, right? That's yeah. that's huge, right? For a leader, that's huge. You know, oh, yeah. somebody that is really smart, works their butt off, and listens when, when somebody talks to them, that's a pretty big deal. I might, so, I might be
0: easy. I might be two of the three. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But, no, I remember, like, when we had the Aruba Blitzes, people said I cheated because, like, because I don't, I don't like to sleep. So like the night before, like I had the lead list. So I actually filtered it to get rid of the subway restaurants that were on the list, which they're not headquartered in Iowa. So I can't sell to them. And then I also got there an hour early and I worked through lunch because I don't believe in taking lunches if I'm, you know, working. Yeah. So like, they especially on a blitz day. Exactly. So topping got, you know, two extra hours. I'm like, no one stopped you from cold toweling. You can do that too. I remember I was so, I was so uh, aggressive. I had, as soon as, because the goal of the day was to, you know, Get a customer on the phone, then hand the customer. If they got on the phone to talk and they were willing to take a call with Aruba, we'd have them on that phone call. As soon as I got that happen, I would just make extra cold calls from my cell phone. You yeah. know, those weren't counting on the auto, the you know, the metrics list. I would still get people on the phone. I'd be like, all right, let me transfer you as soon as we're done with that. Yep. And that's actually how one of the ways I got promoted from uh, HPE t- uh, to Aruba field sales. Yeah,
1: you you worked harder than anybody else. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe still today, you work harder than anybody else.
0: Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> In those days,
1: you you set the you set the bar pretty high. Oh yeah, 105 hours a week can't yep. be beat. Yep. <laughs> there you
0: go. But yeah, I'm still paranoid to this day about the uh, safe or safety, uh, well, safety and integrity of laptops because I remember the laptop I was using broke like two or three times. And mm. It was just the OEM Toshiba spinning SS, spinning SSD inside the laptop. Yeah. So that, to this day, I always ask customers and myself, how are you backing that data up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Man, that's huge. Your lesson learned. I guarantee you, <laughs> 95 percent of people don't do it.
0: Oh, or right. test back offs. It's like, oh crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yep. It's like that's one of the most common, common questions and the common answers you get. It's like, when was the last time you tested it? Well, never, or maybe once last year. It's like, right. well. Right, yeah, I'm uh, testing a little more often. Than yeah, that. exactly. It's like going to the gym. You want to make sure it's working pretty well. That was another nice thing. The I still th- it was it was a little older, but I thought it was beautifully nostalgic. The 5400 Legacy Drive, uh, old EDS headquarters oh, yeah, we worked it was in. Yeah,
1: great building. Yeah, it was
0: yeah. amazing. I'll show you the uh, my office. I actually have one of the old EDS plaques in there because they were going to throw that out during yet another renovation. Yeah, and just broke my heart to see so much of business history because they, I mean, EDS and that building built Plano. You know, there's nothing here. It did, just, that was
1: when that was built. There was nothing out there. Yeah.
0: It's just literally just fields. Yep. that's exactly right. <laughs> and then getting back to my ADHD, when, going from HPE, which is more of a hardware manufacturer, what inspired you to get back to the software? Um, what inspired you? Because there's a lot of companies you could work for, uh, of course. Yep. What, what made you choose or what inspired you to join Red Hat? Because they're a pretty unique uh, software company. They're a very unique co- software yeah. company. Well, and, and
1: it comes back to that one thing I mentioned about that partner. Yeah. It comes down to culture, right? True. So I did a lot of research on Red Hat, before, Mm -hmm. before I pursued them. Yeah. So I pursued an opportunity at Red Hat prior to leaving HPE. Mm -hmm. I came down to me and one of their internal internal candidate, Mm -hmm. they went with the internal candidate, which was fine. I totally get that. But I went through the entire process, got to, you know, interview with the VP. So it was great to get to that point. Yeah. So I learned a lot. I made a good impression. I didn't get it. Okay, fine. I had a job. I didn't worry about it. Yeah. Well, The next time I saw a role open up at Red Hat, I reached back out to the same people I talked to. I said, hey, I saw this role. I'm a really good fit for that. We ought to talk. So sure enough, they said, yes, you're absolutely right. So they scheduled an interview with, and this is a long story, but I'll come back to it. Um, They scheduled an interview with the director, one of the directors that I spoke to the the last time. Mm -hmm. And he gets on the phone and he said, John, this is not an interview today. You impressed us last time we talked. So I'm just going to give you some hints and tricks about the final interview that I'm moving you to. And we'll schedule that in the next few days. So he and I talked for 15, 20 minutes. He gave me a couple of ideas, you know, what the role is, the team, how that's being built out. And I said, cool, right? So then I had the interview with the hiring manager and it went really, really well. Seven days later, I had an offer, right? Excellent. But but it, it comes back to that culture thing. You look at Red Hat, there's not a company like it. Sure. Um, the culture is such that, you know, it's, they call it open, right? So yeah. open source, but there's a lot more about open than just the software, right, and how it's built. Uh, one of the things that I love about Red Hat is that all the leadership are completely open. I can reach out to the CEO and have a conversation if I want to, right? That's very unique. It is very unique, right? And so when they make decisions, it's they get a ton of feedback from the company. Yeah. And the, the phrase is, Everyone gets a voice, but not everyone gets a vote, right? So yeah. they want to hear what, what the people at the company think about whatever decision they're trying to make. Mm. Does that slow things down a little bit? Yeah, mm. but, but what you, the benefit is everybody's bought in, right? Because they've had their opportunity to give some yeah. input. So that kind of thing has really been cool. The other thing that I love about Red Hat is the fact that innovation and in technology today is happening in open source. Uh, when you look at how that's done, that's where things are going to be quick and you know nimble and things changing. And so that whole concept is amazing. And so those two things really are the, the driver that said, that is the company I want to work for. Um, if they'll keep me, I'll be there the rest of my career yeah. because I love that about Red Hat. Are things changing? Yeah, things always change in a company. But that piece, that culture, and that innovation is staying the same, and I love it.
0: That's astronomical, just having that ability to reach out to whoever you want. Because one of the things that kills a lot of big companies, such as automotive, we won't say who, but right. it's just that bureaucracy slows you down and it just doesn't have a cohesive feeling to it. You just don't feel as valued when you, of course, I say of course, but I guess it's not that obvious because a lot of companies don't have it set up that right. way. And, you know,
1: somebody at a, you know ivory tower somewhere makes a decision, oh, and yeah. funnels down, may have no value whatsoever to you know, the customer base, but somebody somewhere made a decision and said, this is what we're going to do without, you know, consulting anybody that's on yeah. the front lines, right? That's not how Red Hat works.
0: Like making the Corvette an automatic only. <laughs> there, you there you go. Prime example,
1: right? Somebody made a decision. Yep. Did they talk to their customers? Probably not. No. Right? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But, yeah, and that's that's one of the great things about Red Hat is everybody's involved in what's going on in the company and the direction and what's happening. It's not, you know, a top-down leadership kind of uh, mentality, which is really Awesome! It's so much fun.
0: Plus, you kind of come full circle. You started working for IBM, and now Red Hat is owned by IBM. Red Hat is owned by <laughs> IBM. And
1: you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. The, you know, I, the years that I worked for IBM, they acquired a bunch of companies, mm-hmm. and and even since then, acquired a bunch of companies. the The difference between those acquisitions and the Red Hat acquisition is that when IBM acquired a company, you know, up until that point, mm-hmm. they did it for one of two reasons, typically. One is they wanted the customer base, right? Yep. So they, they bought the customer base, or they wanted the technology. Well, if they, if they did it for those, one of those two reasons, or both of them, they would take the technology, they'd integrate it into something they're doing, yep. they take the customer base, and they would integrate it in what they're doing. That company ceased to exist. Yes, right? It went away, That's right? Um, with Red Hat, they looked at what Red Hat was doing, the culture, how they operated, the trajectory that, that Red Hat was on. Oh, yeah. They said... We're not gonna mess with that. We want Red Hat to operate independently. They've got their own CEO, board, all of that.
0: Excellent. They're gonna
1: own by IBM, but they're gonna operate like Red Hat has their entire history. Brilliant. And so they're gonna leave it alone. And that's pretty much how it played out. When I first started looking at that, that was my first question. How was that acquisition gonna impact how Red Hat does business? Mm -hmm. And I was assured by everyone I talked to, because I asked every one of them that question. They all said, it's good. Red Hat is going to operate independently. That's the commitment from IBM. We should have no issues. And it's, for the most part, played out that way. Every once in a while, you see a little bit of IBM influence. But in general, Red Hat is Red Hat, and it really hasn't changed a lot from the acquisition.
0: That's the best way to do it. That brings the list of successful IT acquisitions to, like, one or two, or two to three. Yeah, I know HPE and Aruba, Kirti, the co-founder of Aruba, was very specific in his negotiating where he said, hey, we will – always have a separate fiscal headquarters, separate leadership, separate support, so even though it's an HPE company, it's still very independent nimble or nimble, ironically I say nimble because when I HPE don't. bought a, <laughs> uh, when HPE bought Nimble the storage company, they quickly took that technology put into all their hardware and there's exactly. no more Nimble team. Yep. So that, which is traditionally how most businesses do acquisitions, you're Correct. Yeah. usually buying intellectual property, making your own products better or increasing your customer base and Yep. so it's interesting to see how some acquisitions make total sense and they work out great well I mean the history books are filled with ones that you know backfire or nearly bankrupt the company or right. it, it just doesn't work out and one of the big things is I mean culture which is yes I was very impressed it's still very it's very interesting that Dell and IBM or sorry Dell bought out EMC because of such they had such different cultures and technologies so it's Very interesting to see that work out. And of course, you know, Dell got the the diamond in the rough, of course, being VMware. Right. (laughs)
1: That's right. Yep. Yeah.
0: And then what's, because with with the Red Hat experience, is this the the first time you've led a 100% virtual team with Unset Sales?
1: Yes. And it was, wow, what a difference. So um, when I got hired, it was during the pandemic, right at the start, April of uh, 2020.
0: 2020, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right? And all of my team was hired at, th- at that same time frame. Right, So we were all hired remotely. All of the onboarding was remote. Everybody's working from home. That was a complete different experience for me. Right? Every job that I'd had in IT before that, I was going into an office pretty much every day. Now, yeah. when I was a field seller, obviously you You're don't to get to the office every yeah. day, but you know every other role, I was going in the office every day. So now I'm in a scenario where, okay, I've got to lead this team that is all remote, and I'm remote, how do you do that? Because that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And at the time, I it was it was a challenge, right? I just beat my head against the wall. How do I do this, right? I'm so used to seeing Face, people in the office and all the the benefits you get of being in the office and that synergy. And now, how do you do that? How do you replicate that? And yeah. that's really hard to replicate, obviously. But there was a few things that I tried to do to make sure that we had we we came together as a team, right? And we were we were cohesive, and we all understood what we're here to do. I would make, you know, enablement was huge, and then empowerment was even more important. One of the things that a lot of companies have done because of COVID is they, everybody went remote. They were all inside sellers at that point, right? Everybody. (laughs) And, but they, they didn't empower their people to go do the job effectively, Mm. right? They micromanaged them where, at everything they did every metric and and you know looking over their shoulder constantly well no one likes that no. especially sellers <laughs> sellers are the type of personality where just let me go do my job leave me alone and i'll yeah. be fine right <laughs> if i need to change something let me know that and i'll go change it right? yeah. but but don't tell me exactly what to do every minute of every day and so it didn't work and a lot of companies have figured that out and one of the reasons that a lot of companies are pushing everybody back to the office right they oh, had yeah. a hard time managing them. well I had to make those adjustments, it took a while, but a couple of things I did that really paid off were um, when we could get together, mm-hmm. we would get together. Might be for a lunch, might be for just, you know, in a conference room where everybody was, you know, a long ways away, but mm-hmm. we could see each other face to face.
0: So are, are most of the reps in, at least in Texas or are they throughout, because the, how hard is it logistically to yeah. bring that team together physically? At
1: that point in time, they were all here, okay. right? So that yeah. was good. At least they were all here in DFW, yeah. right? And so we worked through all of that. And one of the things that I did, and I think I was doing it when I was leading your team, was the huddle, right? We yeah, did a yeah. huddle every morning, yes. remember? Yeah. Um, I, I, I did that. It. it was obviously virtual. We were on, you know, on a video call, yeah. but we did a huddle. And it was just a few minutes, but it's like, hey, let's – Let's get together. It's, it's fun yeah. and a little inspiration, a little rah-rah. I'm not a big rah-rah guy, but yeah. we talked about some fun stuff. And I would typically throw a quote out or yeah. some something funny or whatever, right? Just to get that synergy but going, right? And get them started to. with the morning. We did it first oh, yeah. thing every morning. So that was one of the things that I continued, even though we were all remote. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's do. Let's figure out what it is that we we can do together. Yeah. And then another thing that we did that was it was really not very easy, but figured it out is how to do an event as a team when we're all remote yeah right so we did a we literally did a uh what's the company painting with a twist oh yeah remote what's that right so painting with a twist the way that works is um they've got a a, an artist that shows you how to paint a particular picture and so during covid they would send out the whole kit so you get your canvas you get the paints you get the brushes everything you need to to do this painting and then the the artist the instructor was on a video call and so they would walk you through each step of that and the whole group was there you know on this video call doing their paintings so it it worked out really well that's brilliant but it is brilliant yeah really challenging but it worked out really well (laughs) because you know those events those team building kind of things. Are really really important agree and during COVID that was really hard to do so that kind of thing is some of the things that we did to just try to you know make sure we, we came ex- together as a team right I, and built that cohesiveness
0: yeah i have some experience together because i know one of the things pe- most people dread in corporate america are you know meetings that just talk about mm, debatably unimportant stuff so like that was a nice thing about like, having the team huddle with you when i was working at hp is you made it fun and interesting and more inspirational than the bland you know monotone voice that so many people have, so many people seem to use throughout my career. Yeah, <laughs> like, well,
1: <laughs> and, you know, you could very easily go, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this today. Yeah. And we did a little bit of that, but it was yeah. it was more just let have, have some have, fun together. You always right? have to have some metrics. I mean. Yeah, <laughs> right. These are the things to focus on today. Yeah. You know, just a couple things, but let's have some fun too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have some blitzes, have some spiffs or prizes. I mean. Yep. It's all about building that fun culture. And I can't imagine. So what, what are there some other maybe tricks of the trade that you have learned that enabled you more with working as a team remotely, is is it awkward or does it kind of just feel the same when you're doing like a one-on-one or doing like a ride-along?
1: You know, it it really is no different. Really, it, yeah. it really is no different. I do one on ones with everyone on my team every week.
0: Excellent. It's it's video.
1: Yeah. And right. and if you know for whatever reason they got some reason not to be on video, that's fine. We just have a conversation. Yeah. Um, but in general, they're video. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very rarely not on video. Mm-hmm. Right. I do that every call. I I'm typically visible. Same. Um. And and so that kind of stuff continued. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I fi- I yeah and again it's it's people build relationships face to face in person. Yep. that's how they start. You can build a relationship remotely it's just harder, right, agree. but once you see someone face to face, that makes all the difference in the world I agree, right? and so as many, as much as we could do that, we did that, and as things kind of you know there was different waves in COVID as you well know oh, oh yeah right as it kind of tapered off, we said okay let's let's go have a lunch together yep. right let's do get this together, together right yeah. go do some things. Um, and we were all very careful about it. You know, yeah. and it, it was, sometimes it was just me and two other people, mm-hmm. right? We couldn't have the whole team together, but I can take a couple of people and we can sit across the yeah. table and wear masks there and the whole thing. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff was really, really important in that whole
0: process. Absolutely. And it is, it is funny, a lot of people say, you know, things are some things are harder back in the day, some things are easier back in the day. I mean, cold calling, I feel like cold calling had to be a lot harder back in the day before you had, you know, video calling and LinkedIn to really put a face to the name. Yeah. Even though, I mean, I guess, you could argue the pickup rates were higher back in the day. I think the conversations are easier now because you already have some background with them. Because everyone's, you know, if you have a meeting with someone or there's always some background research you do because you want to know the person. And so right. it's kind of like and especially with social media, it is really weird because it's depending on what you're doing with social media and your career point and what you do for a living, people already have a very well sense of who you are. Like professional comedians. A lot of people feel like they know them personally because their whole job and their whole life is on social media they're always advertising their tour dates their personality their quirks and features so yeah. it really is a bizarre sense of society where we can get to know someone without ever meeting them
1: right that is true that is absolutely true
0: and is, if you don't mind me asking is your team embracing the meta universe and having you know meetings inside there yet or have you bought real no. estate in there no <laughs> not yet
1: Not yet. Uh, maybe at some point i don't know but yeah no, not <laughs> yet. we're not we're not playing there yet so no. One of the things that um, I think has made a huge difference for the team I'm managing now, which is different than when I started at Red Hat, because now my team is spread all over the country, right? I've got, oh, wow. I've got people from Tampa, Florida to San Francisco, right? Because I've got the entire country. Right? And how many people is that? Just 15. i got 15. Yeah. Right. So it's a big team. Oh, yeah. And so we're right. spread all over the place. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've worked really hard at that has been a huge challenge for a lot of leaders re- leading remotely is – trusting your team, right? Yep. So the way I position it is this. I hired a professional. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enable you, and then I'm going to empower you to go do your job. Yeah. I don't care how many hours a day you work, mm-hmm. get the job done. Right? Yeah. If there's a challenge with hitting numbers or whatever, we're going to have conversations about that. Of course. But I'm not going to check how many hours you're working every week, yeah. nor am I going to check when you're working, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to work from you know, eight to one, and take a couple hours and go do something with your kid, mm-hmm. and then come back and work a few more hours in you know the late afternoon, early evening. I'm totally good with that. Yeah, right. And you don't have to tell me. Yeah. So it's that empowerment piece that I think is make it makes a world of difference
0: when you're managing a remote team. Absolutely. That's it's,
1: it's hard, but true. You got to look at it this way, and 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 I, I position it with everyone I talk to. I hire professionals. I'm going to treat you like a professional until you give me reason not to. And as a professional, I expect you to manage your time effectively.
0: That's one of the things that the team and I back in the day really respected about you because a lot of the other managers at HPE, you know, day one, they did not treat you anything more than a rudimentary child. I mean, they were just, there's a lot of babysitting there. I even remember this one point where they were, using a stopwatch for your bathroom breaks. I was like, geez louise. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that, you were yeah. gone by then though. Yeah. yeah. It, those are interesting times. Yeah,
1: those were weird times. Yeah. Uh,
0: those, those be, you could do a whole podcast series on those stories alone, That's but <laughs> another time of day.
1: There was, a, there was a friend of mine that, that at the time worked, um, well, for EDS before. Oh yeah, what did they before do? That, before that, I forget what they were doing, but EDS. Yeah. But when, when she found out that I was going to work at HPE and what I was doing, she yeah. said, oh, you're going to work in the playpen. Yep. Well, that's not a good thing, I don't think, right? It's, good, but, but it's true. There was a lot of babysitting going on, depending on who you were and what group you were in and yada, 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 right? So.
0: Oh, yeah. and H- I mean, EDS, I mean, God, it's such a great culture. You know, Back in the day, they were the Google of Texas. I mean, yeah. huge employer, unparalleled benefits. I mean, yes. I still miss the HPE days where I know they changed even when I was working there, but and at the time in inside sales, if I wanted to see a doctor and they had one on site, the copay was five dollars yeah which is nothing it's like and they had a they had a drug store yeah in the cbs in the building so
1: if you needed aspirin or whatever it was was right there in the building
0: it's discounted because yeah someone spoiler alert or it's out there now but it's a customer exactly yeah yeah (laughs) so it's just one of those things where and they even actually had you know an on-site golf course they had a car repair shop on site too i did not know with a gas station i read a couple books on eds and it's fascinating what ross perot was able to build at at the time it was such a revolutionary concept and of course he benefited exponentially from it and made a hell of a dent in the universe i mean eds is linger they sponsored the olympics i mean oh yeah they were huge and then in the end of the day they they of course kind of go back to what we are talking about culture and bureaucracy they got many would say too bureaucratic got sold off to gm didn't help and, um I remember one of the books that was written about EDS. There's mantra used to be ready, aim, fire. And then when they were acquired by A- GM, it was ready, aim, aim. They, <laughs> never, they <laughs> never pulled the trigger. Never <laughs> pull the trigger. <laughs> yep. so then they got that's spun true. off again. So they're independent. And uh, the brass coasters I have in the living room are actually the EDS. And it's got the it engraved. It says an independent company because they were so proud of that fact. Right. And again, yeah. kind of going back to full circle, they sold out to HPE. And that's, you know, how they built out the original Texas inside sales team was at the one of the data centers, we worked in there for about six months. Then we got to the 5,400-old headquarters. and Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Now, I believe, I think DXC is out completely, actually. They are, yeah. So I don't know who's in that legendary building now. but
1: well, The the story we heard is that um, someone bought it, a developer bought it, and they were going to turn it into a big hotel.
0: Yeah, I heard. They're
1: going to tear yeah. down a bunch of the wings, mm-hmm. and that, that main building was going to be a hotel with some stuff built onto it. Sad. I don't think that ever happened, but that was the no. story anyway at the time.
0: I remember the last sticker because you look at the windows when I was you used to visit the HP and at sales at the time. It said like a next Next bank or next gen. So there's a couple of companies working with it. But if you have a, like $300,000, you could rent, you know, a couple floors out there per, <laughs> per year if you want. No, I think it's per month. It was a lot. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, eh, the poor building needs a code. I'm surprised. It should be a historical monument, I think. I mean, it built the city. But I'm uh, somewhat—I'm very business nostalgia, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. it was just amazing to see what that company was—you know, back in the day. It was just—it changed the world, no <laughs> question, no question. Yep. Yeah. And then, yep. What do you like to do outside the office?
1: So, uh, I, you know, I got a lot of things going on. Um, one of the things that I love to do is I love to play golf. Yep. So I've got a group of guys I play with every Saturday, and I've known some of them for. Twenty plus years. Oh wow! Several of them I worked with at IBM. No way. Uh, in my first IT job, and uh, and so we kind of kept in touch over the yep. years, and now we play golf together on Saturday. So that's that's one of the things I do. Um, the other thing that I do that I don't know maybe it's crazy, but it's but it's therapy for me is I restore yeah. old vehicles. That's awesome. Right? So I'm on my sixth restoration, and it, it depends on where they are in the in the process, but. Mm-hmm. What I what I love about doing that is the troubleshooting and the and the problem solving because in a restoration like a home remodel same kind of thing I did some of that for a while Um, you never know what you're going to get into until you get into it you start tearing something apart and you go oh that's not good I got to fix that and oh I got to do that and so it just it it snowballs to a certain extent but it's that how do I solve this problem right Mm -hmm. someone did something to this at some point in time. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why they did it, how they did it, but it's, it's not necessarily right. I've got to fix that. How do I do it? And so I love that problem solving, working through, hey, I could do it this way. I could do it this way. What's the right way? You know, do I get advice? Do I just do it myself? So that's one of the things I love about that. So, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are like that, that love to get their hands involved in something, especially oh, yeah. if they're doing a role, a job that doesn't involve that. True. Right? Sales manager, I don't do a lot of stuff with my hands other yeah, than on the keyboard, yeah. right? Um, so it gives me an opportunity to do something a little bit different and, you know, like, you know, crawl around on the ground underneath the vehicle and, you know, wrenching on an engine is, that's fun for me,
0: right? So what's your current project?
1: I've got a 1973 Jeep CJ5 that was a barn find. No a way. Yeah, I've had it for about three years and it's, it's really close. I've gone through the engine, rewired the entire thing um, done a lot of work on the frame doing a lot of sheet metal repair there's a lot, a lot of stuff it's been a lot of work and things that I've never done before I've never done a wiring harness before did it on this one really I've never done welding before I'm doing it on this one so it's like like anything you know you, you learn as you go yeah and and the, you know the opportunity to, to do something may require you to learn something new mm-hmm. and so I'm learning stuff new all the time on that
0: that's awesome. So, so, did you build a wiring harness from scratch? Or, well, that I one component not. alone is complicated as oh, hell. Oh, it's huge. For a yeah, lot, a huge. lot of people don't know there are miles of wiring in modern cars, and in old cars, is still a fair amount of copper. Lots wires. of wires. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, lots of wires. So, in, in my case, when I started messing around with the electrical on this thing, nothing worked. Nothing. No lights. Oh, no turns. Nothing worked on it from an electrical perspective. So, I said, okay, this isn't good. So, I started digging into the wires, it was a mess. The somewhere previous to me owner, it, owner it, they had spiced and cut. Oh, and, no. You know, put all kinds of stuff in there. I was like, there's just no way. So, literally, I ripped out every single wire from this Jeep. Yeah. I bought a wiring harness from Painless Wiring, Painless Performance. Mm-hmm. They build wiring harnesses. And the great thing about Painless is every wire is labeled. It tells you exactly where it goes. Nice. And they're, you know, they're all color-coded, but every wire has where it goes where it goes to, where it starts yeah. and where it ends. And so, even though I'd never done that before, I wouldn't say it's painless, yeah. even though
0: that's the name of the company,
1: <laughs> but it was fairly straightforward. You know, I, it took me about two months to work through that.
0: Oh my gosh. And just when like, it
1: was all done, it all worked. It was scary. That's
0: you know? great. Yeah. So what was the most time consuming part of the wire harness? Just, just laying down the frame or, or, or installing no, it, just, it? or it just
1: running the wires to the right place and then the connections, Yeah. Right? Running to the right place is not all that difficult, but then connecting them to the right place so that they work, yeah. right? So a certain number of wires going to the alternator, certain number of wires going to all the controls on the dash. I mean, just all, all the lights, they yeah. all have specific wires and you, can, you know, running them there was, it was some challenges, mm-hmm. but the biggest thing is how do you connect it right? One of the, and this is more detail you probably want, but one of the challenges with Jeeps, especially old Jeeps is they have huge grounding problems. Right? Really, And you've got to ground everything correctly or your stuff's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the biggest challenges is figuring out, okay, how do I ground this correctly and, and where do I have all the right connections for grounding? Um, but I figured it out because the instructions were pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And, and I said it wasn't painless, but yeah. it could have been a lot worse. Right? I, wasn't, I didn't have spools of wire <laughs> Yeah, <trying> to put <laughs> <turn> that on <laughs> my own. Somebody else did that and,
0: yep. and it worked. So that was fun. And, did you, and you said it had a V8?
1: Yes, it's got a V8, 304 Excellent. V8. Stick shift? Uh, oh, yeah, three-speed yes. manual. Yeah. Yep. And it's, the way it's, to do a, it. It was the AMC era, so it's an yeah. AMC V8 in transmission. Yeah. And
0: so it's pretty fun. And then what do you have to do with the engine? Was it seized up when you first got it? It or? was not. No. Oh, really? Amazingly, it was not. That's right? lucky. <laughs> so um,
1: we went, we, you know, a friend of mine and I were working on it. We kind of went through the whole engine, You know, all the plugs, pulled them all out, all the wires, pulled all that out, You know, drain, drained all the oil, all the – Fluids, everything out of it. Um, fortunately, it wasn't seized, so that was good. We yeah. put all the stuff, all the new stuff back in. Record the radiator, so we had good flow for the cooling, mm-hmm. and the thing fired up. It was amazing, right? And so, once you get the engine running, okay, will it move on its own? Is yeah. the next question. So, put in the transmission, rolled it down the driveway, and tra- put it in reverse, yeah. rolled it back up the driveway. The, the transmission worked. worked the transmission had no issues. That's great. No, no issues whatsoever. Now we've. Obviously, I drained the fluid and oh, replaced yeah. all that. I'll swap it out. No but, yeah. issues on the transmission. Transfer case, a different story. Every mm. orifice on the transfer case was leaking. Oh, really? Right? So I had <laughs> yeah. to overhaul that. I didn't do a full rebuild because mm. I opened it up, and it was really in pretty good shape. Yeah. Just every seal was leaking.
0: Oh, so okay. just new gaskets and new seals. Gaskets, seals, yeah. We that replaced all sense. that.
1: Put it all back in. It works
0: fine. So what new components do you get to put into the V8? Or what, what parts do you swap out?
1: Um, and the engine itself... Nothing. Other really. Than the plugs and wires, right? That's carburetor fantastic. works great. Intake's great. It's got uh, headers and dual yeah. exhaust. Nice. Um, whoever whoever had it before me, put a, a high-end Edelbrock intake, a high-end Edelbrock 4 bell carburetor. Very nice. That worked phenomenal. They make good right? stuff. Oh, and they yeah yeah <laughs> yeah incredibly resilient and and they work great and the thing sounds fantastic
0: i are going to have to hear that soon. Yes. That's incredible. Probably one of the best engineering feats in history, the V8. Oh, I totally I mean, agree. <laughs> like I totally agree. One of the most real, if GM ever did something right, it was their small block V8. No it's, question. you know, darn near bull if you put nitrous, oh, nitrous would probably kill it, but you could, all you depends. You could put, yeah, I was right? going to say, it take a fair amount of abuse. Nope. Yep. <laughs> There's no question about that. So of yep. the six, five, six cars you've been restoring, what's, what was your first one, actually? The honestly.
1: first one was a 62 um, Chevy Impala. Oh, really? Yep, 327 V8, nice. Powerglide Automatic. It was, it was a lot of fun. That's a lot incredible. Of
0: fun. Yep. What was your favorite? Or do you, do you have a favorite out of all the ones you restored over the years? Of
1: all the ones that I've done, what I'm working on right now is by far my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's just, there's something about driving a Jeep. If you've never driven a Jeep, there's something about it. And I don't, I, it's hard to explain. Yeah. But it's just something cool about driving a Jeep with a manual transmission, you know, the wind blowing around you because they're always noisy. Whether oh, yeah. you've got a hard top <laughs> yeah. or soft top, they're always noisy. So you hear everything that's going on. You kind of feel the road. There's something special about driving a Jeep.
0: I agree. I remember when I was doing car sales, you know, back in the days, you know, in the frozen tundra of Iowa, we had one of the Wranglers, and I think it was the, what was the tricked-out edition? The, uh, like a Rubicon? Tr- yes, a thank Renegade. you. Yes, yeah. yes. I always forget that vernacular. It was the Rubicon and we'd take it off-roading all the time. It was a stick shift. It was so much fun. It was a very unique experience that I I wish more people would seek or try it out. Because it is, of course, it's so cliche. It's not as fast as an automatic. I know. Whatever. For the thousandth time, it's been like that way since the 90s. But it was such a unique, fun experience. I wish more people would be introduced to it or get into it, so to say.
1: Yep, I totally agree. Because until you do it, you don't know. Yeah. My son bought a... An old YJ, I right. was like ninety two, I think, mm-hmm. and that was his first vehicle that oh, really? he bought. Yeah, and that's the first Jeep I'd ever really been associated with, other yeah. than a kid in high school that had one that I thought, man, that's really cool. Yeah. right but then he bought this thing and it needed a bunch of work, so oh, he yeah. and I worked on it. But driving it was just the first time I drove it. I'm going, okay, there's something different about this, right? Yeah. There's something really special about a Jeep, and so ever since then, I've been a Jeep guy.
0: It's there's yeah. so much fun. And yeah. do you plan on roading it?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right? Why as, not?
0: as intended. Well, very. Why not? Well, it's, it's sad. A lot of these vehicles, I mean, they're engineered, you know, to go off-roading, and do these magical things, but very few owners actually do it, like, kind of like track cars.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And I've got another Jeep. That's oh, my right? daily driver. Oh, yeah. Right? And and that'll be on the road most of the time. Mm-hmm. I'll take it off-road. But it'll be on the road most of the time. But yeah. the CJ, it's, it's about messing around in the mud. Absolutely.
0: And it... What do you dream about? Like, if you think of a barn find, or you are coming across a vehicle to restore, what, what, is, what are you really looking for? What would you love to find?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I would love to find is a fastback Mustang yep. from the late 60s. 68, 69, 67 maybe. Yep. You know, those late 60s fastback Mustangs have always been my favorite cars.
0: They look so amazing.
1: I would love to find one of those with the you know, you know, original 289, you know, high output, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. Four-speed. That would be a lot of fun i would love to do that they're they're worth a lot of money today oh yeah so you don't find many of those in a barn anymore but no. those that's one that i'd really love to have
0: you i mean you really gotta search for it these days and you keep we always hear the stories on social media like you know people will still find them but it's kind of sad because as time goes by people will find them less and less because you know the supply is always getting sh- you know smaller not greater yep. Yep. So there's always that, you know, what do you, the barn, there's always something in a barn somewhere that's collecting right. dust and could be immaculate or collectible.
1: Well, and depending on where they are in the country. Oh, yeah. Or the world, <laughs> yeah, you know, if they're sitting there long enough, there's not going to be much left to restore. No, so that's you know, a problem. Especially
0: right? in the Midwest with all that darn salt they put on the roads that right. just right. eats through the Salt and humidity. Yeah. It's hard on steel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have, oh. have you watched the, or have you heard of the Bugatti restoration? Oh yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah. for folks to, who don't amazing. know, there's a insurance uh, gentleman. I forget his profession, but he had a Bugatti, which is worth I think 1.2 two million dollars, and he basically crashed it into the Galveston, you know, is it ocean, whatever. Yeah, it, yeah, Galveston ocean. Bay yeah, Galveston Bay is. Yeah, Galveston Bay. Yeah, and which is salt water, which is yep. not the worst. Yeah, it's the worst enemy. So he crashed it in the bay for insurance fraud. He said, you know, a pelican. And I had to sort of, you know, hit it. Funny enough, thanks to social media and cameras, they proved there was no Pelican he just different insurance also that car went between you know three or four different owners and mechanic had it for a while he started to restore it but all he did was basically take it apart I think he got the radiators sent over to um, the global headquarters to have them you know flushed out and redone but eventually someone bought it so they can actually restore it and one of the biggest issues they're having is you know the wiring harness which Volkswagen isn't gonna give that away because well their parent company for folks don't know There's so many proprietary parts on that car, I can't imagine the restoration process and the logistics behind it.
1: Yeah, and and restoration's an interesting animal anyway, regardless of what it is, right? So most most people that actually do the restoration, they're gonna be upside down when they sell it. Yeah. They're gonna put more into it to get it to a certain point, but it's only gonna be worth so many dollars, right? Yeah. Every one of the restorations I've done, up to this one, yeah, I've lost money. Oh, really? Absolutely, right? Because yeah. that's how they work, right? Ashen. If you're doing the restoration, mm-hmm. you're not the one that's going to make the money. It's the next guy that makes the money, yep. right? Um, and, and I go into them knowing that, mm-hmm. right? I know I'm not going to make money on it. If I break even, that would be great, huge, right? Yeah. Huge celebration, but I haven't done that yet, mm-hmm. right? Every one of them has been a loser, but I've en- enjoyed it so much,
0: I don't yeah. care. It's right? the journey. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yep. So you realize, it's not just a man hours, but... A lot of material and a lot of you know you need a lot of tools, a lot of materials, True. and it's a lot more difficult than people think to actually properly restore a car.
1: No question. Yeah, no question.
0: <laughs> so yeah. how do you handle the paint for the uh, paint jobs for those? Do you have a booth, or to um, me, to me that'd be one of the biggest hurdles in terms of infrastructure and tooling.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have a paint booth. That I outsource it. Right? Oh, cool. I, just, I pay somebody else to do that part. Yeah. Right. I'm to the point now where I do most of the fabrication and and uh, body work. Oh, neat. But somebody else does the painting because I don't have the facility for it.
0: Yeah, right? and then you were telling me earlier, so you're actually learning how to weld for this vehicle?
1: Learn how to weld. That's Man, awesome. I've never done that before. So yeah. That's <laughs> been a little bit of an okay. adventure. Right? Yes, thanks to YouTube, I've been able to figure out an awful lot of stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah. What was the hardest part of getting started with the welding and what, what kind of welding tools are you using? Because I know there's a couple different, you different, know, specific types of welding you can yeah. do. Yeah,
1: well, again, it's, it's what type of welding am I going to do determines what kind of welder I'm going to need, right? Yep. And so the stuff I was doing, I was able to do pretty much all of it with a MIG welder. So mm-hmm. I've got a flux core MIG welder, and it's 110, so I don't have to have you know yep. 220 run to my garage. Um, is it the best for everything? Absolutely not, yep. but for the stuff I'm doing, the lighter welding mm-hmm. on, on stuff that's not really thick, you know, the frame's a little bit thicker, but you, you do that right, mm-hmm. it'll work, right? Sheet metal, it's the absolute best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the easiest to learn, right? The flux core MIG welder, pretty easy um none of it's really easy but that's easier than most of them yeah so that's where I started so I've got me a you know pretty decent MIG welder that
0: uh you know it works it works great and I'm learning a ton that's awesome what was the most difficult thing you learned throughout your car restoration hobby or what was the hardest skill you had to master um
1: it's a really good question I think probably the wiring piece really because that baffled me my whole life Mm -hmm. right until i got to this jeep and it was intimidating because you look you look behind the dash of an old vehicle there's a lot of wires you look under the hood there's a lot of wires more
0: than you a lot more than you expect yeah what do all these do right (laughs)
1: so it was very intimidating and and until this jeep i would avoid that right i'd say hey you find somebody else that can help me do that yeah um but this one i finally tackled that and realized that if it's done right and you think through it and you take your time, mm. it's, it's manageable. Yeah. Right? So that's probably the, been the biggest challenge and the greatest thing I've learned about any of that is the wiring is not as intimidating at it f- as it first seems.
0: And out of curiosity just kind of ballpark because what does the wiring harness look like on the current jeep are there you know hundreds of ends that you need to put in stuff or dozens or
1: you're talking about on a current jeep or yeah, on my on, cj oh no
0: I, I know the current jeeps are you know 12 miles of wire or whatever but oh, no know. Know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a computer yeah but yeah, it your, is, uh, your yeah. Cur- the uh, 70s on, jeep
1: on the cj um yeah there's probably there's probably 80 to 100 ends it's still a lot right? um, how do you keep
0: track of all that as you're connecting it
1: well every wire has got where it goes to oh, perfect. And a painless yeah. wiring harness and yeah. there's several companies that do that mm-hmm. i think painless is the best some people would argue that um, but every wire has exactly where it goes right so i've got a have you know, got a bunch of wires running to the back of the jeep mm-hmm. this one goes to the left turn signal this one goes to the right turn signal this mm-hmm. one goes to the fuel gauge right so it's just you follow the instructions and and read what's on
0: the wire and you're good yeah right. would everyone do a kit car
1: no, I don't think so. No. I, I, I don't know. I never even thought about it mm. because there's, there's enough old cars running around, or at least hanging out out there, that I could go buy something that I want to mess with. Yeah, you know, kit car just never appealed to me.
0: Where do you usually find the your project cars, your restoration cars? Do you,
1: who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, two or three of them I just found driving down the road. Oh, really? Somebody <laughs> had some old car on the side of the road going. Yep. I want to sell this. I go, hmm, that's interesting. So my yep. second one, that's literally I found it on. 121 in Louisville. really it was just on the side of the road with a for sale sign in it i thought well that's kind of cool really
0: what kind was it
1: um a galaxy 500 oh 62 oh cool galaxy 500 yeah. yeah just sitting on the side of the road i went up you know it had a for sale sign in it but they didn't have a price so i just said yeah you know, what, what do you got going on right and we talked for a while and finally I, I made an offer they accepted and i bought it and started restoring it
0: that's awesome i mean, First rule of life. If you never ask, you never know.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) You got to be a little bit bold.
0: Exactly. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, bud. I appreciate you. It's been so much fun. Thanks for coming on, John. Great to see you again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to click like, subscribe, share. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your employer. Tell your enemies. Tell anyone. Just tell Stay safe. Have a great day. Talks.